hoity-doody little buckaroo. To you, like animals, we sure do. So come on down to the weekly meeting of the Animal Fan Club. Cuckoo, cuckoo. The cuckoo clock is proclaiming that it's creature o'clock. So ring that buzzer. It sounds like a lion roar. Roar. And open the door to join us for the 11th meeting of the Animal Fan Club. I'm molting right now, Mike. <laughs> and I'm girl drink drunk Meredith. And I'm jazzercising Jaguar Jack. <laughs> we meet every week at our clubhouse. We like to call the Dalmatian Station. <laughs> <laughs> to talk about our favorite animals. Well, we like it. Expertise we make up for an unbridled enthusiasm, a childlike wonder. Wow. Woo! <laughs> so saddle up that miniature horse and hold on tight for the furriest, fin-filled, and feathered podcast in all of the kingdom animalia. Hi, Meredith. Hi, I'm sorry. And hi, Jack. Hello. Jack, welcome to the clubhouse. Oh my God, guys. I'm so excited to be here. This I'm so, so excited. so fun. Our first guest. Yeah, we're very excited to have you. Other than I am that so frog excited. in my throat last time. <laughs> yes, that's right. That was the first guest was Meredith's cold. So you are our second Did guest. you name it? Uh, no, oh, I wow. didn't. Didn't deserve it. Ugh, that was awful. Anywho. So all three of us work together at the same coffee shop. Mm-hmm. And Jack and I started there together. Well, Jack was there first. And then I came on board. And then Meredith came on board. And it was like overlapping. Because after I left, like y'all were there for like a couple years, right? Yeah. 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 Some, yeah. yeah. Around there. And then I got sure. out. And I, I, I've been in and out. Yeah. I've been in and out. Jack, what do you want the listeners to know about you? Who are you? Uh, let's see. Um, I'm a social worker here in New York City. I have two cats. Oh. Um, one of them thinks he's a dog, though. He likes to play fetch and snuggle. Um, so he is not very bright. This morning, he tried to crawl into the litter box, uh, even though the lid was on the floor and flush with the floor, and he tried to put his paws in the hole and couldn't figure out why he couldn't get down. Oh, boy. Oh, cute. It's like, uh, Very sweet. Uh, very sweet, though. It's adorable. Oh. This is the same one that eats paint chips, right? Yep, yep. It's unclear whether he got this way because he ate the paint chips or whether he ate the paint chips because he has struggles with thinking. Gene just says that he is very focused in his thoughts. <laughs> I, like I mean, that. he can unzip things. He gets into backpacks all the time. That's fun. So... There's some high-level functioning there. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Hey, as we've mentioned ad nauseum, there's just no rhyme or reason to cats. Yeah, it's true. Yeah. And, I mean, if I can pull back the curtain to the Dalmatian station here, we haven't seen cats yet because we recorded two episodes in one day. And (gasps) so Jack's going with us to see cats soon. It's all about that real fur technology. We've heard. (laughs) Oh, have we heard. Yeah, we've decided that our review of Cats is happening on our own time frame and will be presented in our own time frame as well, which we think most directly honors the spirit of the cat, you know? Mm-hmm. It's true. So we're leaning into that. Yes. Any fun animal occurrences other than kitty litter box mishap of this morning? Well, I saw an article about koi wolves, which are coyote, oh. coyote wolf hybrids. They're not wolves that are koi. Oh, right, it's right. the oh. sort of like <laughs> species of koi wolf, like coyote wolf. I hybrids. thought it was some sort of giant goldfish wolf yeah. experience. No. Goldfish with fangs. Yeah. Oh, that's funny. You guys, see, I, 
I just knew it was going to Wolf, so I didn't ever associate it with Koi. But I guess saying it out loud, I see why you would think that. Yeah. Hmm. But that makes sense. I mean, what region is this oh, happening? Oh, I don't remember. And I don't remember the thrust of the article either. I think it was something about, like, they're causing problems because they're unpredictable. Of but course. Who's okay. to say? Coyotes are always causing problems. That's yeah. That's what they do. That is their general MO. And that's why you love them. In so. New York, they're mostly just hanging out and pedestrians are trying to pet them. Really? They're yeah. just, like, they're just hanging out in bars. They're just <laughs> drinking BLs like the rest you of know, us. You know, mostly in the park, I think. <laughs> My partner once tried to pet a coyote. She swore it was a dog. Is that right? Yes, yes. It was not a dog. It was definitely a coyote. Where was this? In Central Park. What? There are coyotes in Central Park? They're, they, you know, they travel down from upstate. They travel the park system. Wow. Good for them. The highway so, to wow. Fort Tryon Park and then just kind of down That's through Manhattan fun. to Central Park. And Oh, someone needs to write a fun little like children's book or comic strip about this. I like this idea. Park the coyote. Park the coyote. Just voyaging through the park system. Yeah. It could make park ranger friends. Yeah, you can learn about the New York City park system. That's true. And you could learn about the other kinds of wildlife that live in the New York City park systems. Have you heard about the goats that they employ to um, cut back brush? I know this was happening in Riverside Park. There was like a whole like time period last summer where they brought in a bunch of hungry Mm -hmm. goats. And they're like, buffet, everybody. And then I they think just, they did this in Prospect Park as well. It's beautiful. Like, I've never been more excited about, like, a park project than, like, taking animals whose sole purpose in life, other than recreating, reproducing, is to just eat. So they set them loose in a park that needs clearing and let them do their thing that they're naturally built to do. And it's so cool. And they did a great job, apparently. Awesome. <laughs> and goats will eat trash, too. So, you know. Oh, yeah. Goats are the best all that i have to say is that undulate squad is definitely the best and you know goats as a member of undulate squad like of course they're going to be called in in a crisis and they're going to be like we got it we got it super goat super goats they're the greatest of all time right raise, raise a hoof raise a hoof Woo! Woo! well friends should we get into the tasks at finn ah <laughs> yes let's get into the tasks at finn ready okay texana you Taxana we. Taxana who? Taxana us. Kingdom. In Amelia. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Phylum. Cordata. It's not yours, it's spine. Class. Mammalia. Oh my gosh, they're just like me. Order. Artiodactyla. But it's not what you think. Family. Monodonte day. Nice forehead. Melon. Genus. Monodon. Unicorn of the sea. Species. Monodon. Monoceros. It's one tooth, one horn, narwhal. That was really nice. <laughs> Loved it. You like that U2 reference? I did. <laughs> I did. What is it, like one head, one heart? I don't one know. Love, one... Well, it's narwhal time, y'all. Yay. Narwhal. 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 Hopefully, for our faithful listeners... We notice something strange come up in this taxonomy each year. So how is it that our artiodactyla, which, say it with me, who are our artiodactyla? Yeah, even, even toad, toad undulates. Right? So it's like the same as what our Tragulidae friends and the bison. Yeah. Are these, wait. 
uh, the deer, the true deer, the untrue deer. Yeah, all of the the undulates. Yeah, undulate, undulate squad. squad. Raise a hoof. Raise a hoof. Raise a fin. Raise a fin. In this case, sure. <laughs> because it's said that the whales, dolphins, porpoises, all of those, all those fun friends, cetacean nation, cetacean nation, they evolved from a common ancestor like our hoofed friends did. Yeah, which is so crazy again i always say these things but evolution is mind-blowing evolution yeah evolutionary goof-em-ups yes and i cut not to get political or religious but i just feel like creationists are kind of missing out on some really fun stuff by Mm. not acknowledging evolution because it's crazy i agree with that but anyway i'll leave that there uh what there is though is this infra order so i mentioned the cetacean nation Uh uh-huh so this infra order is the cetacean. So that's an order inside of the larger order of Artiodactyla. And that's where it becomes just the whales and porpoises right. and things. Is cetac- yes. cetacean nation. Yeah. Uh-huh. Exactly. Okay, so we move from Artiodactyla into the family of Monodontidae. And I said nice forehead melon because the two <laughs> species in this family, the narwhals, y'all, and then the beluga whale that we know from Rafi's famed song, Baby beluga. In the <laughs> deep blue sea. sea. Yeah. Swim so wild and you swim so free. So free. Heaven above and the sea below and a little white whale on the go. My friend's aunt dated <laughs> <It's> Rafi. A... <laughs> oh, <laughs> wow. Yeah. Some connections. Yeah. It's a it's a cosmopolitan species too, I think. So like the beluga? quite literally on the go. Yeah. It's on the go around the globe. Hailing a dirigible with its tweed. That's... <laughs> oh, okay. So we've got those two. So there actually is some evidence that very rarely narwhals and belugas will mate with one another because there have been essentially like hybrid species found. Wow. Wow. I did not know that. Yeah. Isn't that crazy? Something new every day. Interspecies love. Ooh. Central. Into the heart chamber. <laughs> heart chamber. Wow. Um, Deep cuts today, Meredith. <laughs> I'm really keyed in. Keyed into the canon of Animal Fan Club. And so just to get some like very basic stuff out of the way so we can picture this clearly in our heads. So narwhals, size-wise, I think I read like 13 to 18 feet in size. They're big. They're big. I mean, they're whales. They're whales. As Anthony always says, whales getting in the way because they're so big. They're pretty big. Yeah, which is cool. And then the tusk, or I shouldn't say tusk. Hold up. Tusk. Take that back. It's not... <laughs> Like the mata Yeah. Yeah, I just like did my word. <laughs> <laughs> so it's technically the left canine tooth. So we've got those. It's like I'm feeling mine right now. Oh, yeah. I'm kind of sticking mine out, Yeah, I can too. see it. It's a, you see it? Yeah. My thing. The characteristic horn or tusk, I guess we could say, is the left canine tooth that has grown, 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 grown all the way out. And sometimes you can even note like tightly wound spirals yes. in yeah. this narwhal tooth. And some of them will have two teeth that have and grown. Exactly. So wild. sometimes the right hand canine will also grow out. Oh. Isn't that nuts? Do they end up kind of like pointing out like side by side? I don't know. I actually haven't seen a picture of this. I don't it's not super common yeah. at all. Because the because it does kind of point out of the front of the thing, mm-hmm. which is why people often think that it is growing out of the unicorn spot on right. the forehead, but it's not. It's growing out of the mouth. Yeah, out it's and up. Tooth. Yeah, out and up. Out and up. They're toothy, toothy creatures. 
That's toothtastic. That is toothtastic. Um, so I think this is where um, I might hand it over to our narwhal expert in the room, Jack. So has a little bit more to say about <laughs> this stuff. So uh, back to this idea of what I don't have in knowledge, I make up an unbridled enthusiasm. Most of my narwhal expertise actually comes from just looking at pictures of narwhals and trying to acquire narwhal items. So narwhal socks, narwhal shirts, narwhal outfits. but Narwhal phone case. Oh, yes, that's true. It's a unicorn. My phone case is a unicorn in outer space riding a narwhal, also in outer space, to be clear. I love it. There's like some sort of laser situation, yeah, it's, too. Yeah, it's some combination of, uh, it's like they have a lightsaber. It looks that way. Yeah. It's amazing. That's my best guess. But, you know, this combination, this alliance between animals. I will say that they're both wearing helmets that have <laughs> holes for the horns. It's true, which does bring up some really good like vacuum questions. How do you close that off? So oh, that, right. So that space isn't basically destroying you as a right. oxygen-breathing creature. Right, yeah. right. <laughs> Maybe some gaskets. But you know, there's actually... Yeah, of course. Actually, a lot of crossover between the unicorns and the narwhals, historically. Yes, I love this. Um, So narwhal horns actually were frequently sold and marketed um, by early on Vikings and then later all kinds of explorers um, as unicorn horns. Whoa. And so mostly European royalty, but also... Um, Chinese royalty was buying up narwhal horns as unicorn horns. And it was rumored to be an antidote to poison. Uh Uh, There's this story of a English explorer who was up in Greenland um, finding a dead unicorn or dead unicorn, a dead narwhal (laughs) um, and calling it a unicorn of the sea. And he brought the horn back to Queen Elizabeth. Um, He also actually kidnapped three Inuit individuals and tried to bring them back to Queen Elizabeth as well. But anyway, um, you know, colonization aside, but um, (laughs) anti-imperialism. Yeah. Decolonize everybody. Uh, but the Vikings started marketing these narwhal horns as unicorn horns, really easy to sell. And then the unicorn came to be the symbol of Christianity sometime in the right. Middle Age. Yeah, Middle I Ages. wanted to look more into that. I mean, yeah. this is definitely off topic, but I was like, oh, and yet another thing we've aligned with Jesus. Yeah, yeah. I didn't quite understand it. It was like unicorn. Well, people talk about Christ. the, the- the cloisters up like in Inwood or wherever, uh-huh. um, that it's a lot of unicorn tapestries up there, right? Or maybe it was a special event there a few years ago. That was oh, like I know exactly what Unicorn you're tapestries, yeah. you know? <laughs> yeah. An exhibit. Um, and, and I don't know quite why, but... Yeah. Feel free to uh, chime in, listeners, if you have information <laughs> on how the unicorn came up to be affiliated with Christ. Yeah. Animalfanclubpod at gmail.com. <laughs> And also there's one, there's a full on narwhal tusk. I think it said it was like wrapped in velvet at um, the Basilica in the Vatican. Yeah, like, there's why? like these these wild uses of, of narwhal tusks. And we'll get more into the fashion elements of the narwhal tusk. Okay. Later. Oh, that exciting. Way. Later in the episode, perhaps. Yes. Uh, this explorer took this unicorn horn and actually tried to or this narwhal horn, cut it off and then tried to dump spiders in it and then claimed that the spiders died. And that was how we know for sure that it is an antidote to poison. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Science, that's reason. I I love this, like, medieval attempt at fake science. And Queen Elizabeth had a a cup 
that was a narwhal yes. horn tusk cup that she, uh, you know, drank from and felt certain that it would explode, actually, if uh, poison touched it. So safety first, listeners. Yeah, get that narwhal tusk <laughs> cup if you're a monarch. Yeah. Yeah. True or false? Narwhals are social creatures. False. True. 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 Oh. Yeah, they hang out in pods of, I mean, like 20 to 100, I think is what I read from various different sources. Um, So, yeah, they are very shy with humans. Okay. So they're not good in captivity at all versus their beluga friends. Yeah, they'll die in captivity. Yeah. Very quickly. Wow. It's really sad. It said belugas thrive in captivity, and I'm putting, like, swoosh, swoosh quotes around thrive. I'm like, do they thrive? Right. I doubt it. Probably not. But I just think they don't die quickly like narwhals do. Yeah. Because they're just not, they're not into humans. No. So I guess in terms of predators or ways that narwhals will often meet their maker, they like to hang out kind of underneath these ice packs um, because there's good food down there. But they also, because they are mammals, right? They got to come up and breathe. So a lot of times um, if they have kind of gotten the wrong, got on the wrong path or they've ended up under ice packs where they can't come up for air, they'll end up suffocating. Oh, that's sad. Yeah. It is sad. Drowning narwhals. They'll get trapped. Yeah, they get trapped down there, so there's like nowhere for their blowhole to go. There's actually this really interesting in terms of the the narwhal and the limited genetic possibilities amongst the narwhal population. Apparently, a whole bunch of them theoretically got trapped um, under one of these ice flows. Mm-hmm. And so there was a huge kind of die out. Oh. Um, and that means that, I mean, and again, there's been limited actual genetic testing of narwhals because they're really hard to kind of track and they don't know, trap like and release. Yeah. but. Um, the idea is that they're they're very limited genetically. Yeah. Hmm. yeah. Like the well, genetic diversity is really low. Unless someone sneaks out and meets up with a, a beluga lady. Yeah. Great big beluga. Secret love. <laughs> Secret Deep love. blue sea. <laughs> um, yeah, maybe the secret to the narwhal survival is hooking up with those belugas. Baby. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, and so maybe let's talk about some of these tusk theories. I don't know if isn't tusk. it appropriate to call it tusk? Tusk. Is it a tusk technically? <laughs> well, it's, I mean, it's a tooth, but when they are, I don't know, for lack of a better word, sparring um, with yeah. their tusks, it's called tusking. Though. Right. Like, that's the technical term. So is that what it's called? Yeah. Yeah, they're called. It's called tusking. It's called tusking? It definitely sounds vaguely sexual, right? It does sound right. sexual. <laughs> but I, yeah, I, I don't think that it is, and I don't even know that it's. Um, I think early descriptions of these creatures when they would be seen like two. Well, so males are, I think, for the most part, mm-hmm. the only ones with the tusks. Though I think they said there were some instances of lady narwhals that had grown tusks. And even I think one account of the lady narwhal that had grown the two tusks. Sure. The holy grail of <laughs> narwhal tusks. Narwhal uniqueness. Yes. Narwhal. By horns? By, by tusks. <laughs> By tusks. By, 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 by teeth tusk? By teeths. Like if it's if a unicorn is one, would it be a bicorn? I guess so. A bar A bar wall? A bar wall. I like that. Wow. Yeah, but there are all these <laughs> different theories. The oh dear. <laughs> How very narwhalian of you. Yeah. I was just tusking my mic. 
So anyway, <laughs> so when they talk about these or these explorers talking about these early sightings of narwhals in the literature, they'd say that they were like fighting each other, kind of like jousting one another. Yeah. But new scientific research has kind of posited otherwise. So yeah. do you want to talk about? Yeah. So there are these that. different theories so that both the the tusks serve as both a a secondary sex characteristic. So mm-hmm. the idea that they grow and are a way to like identify mates sure. um, as well as there's all this sensory, um, all these nerve endings and really interesting like uh, different spatial considerations about how the tusk is formed and how many nerve endings it has. That, that like 10 million or something? Yeah, like, that make it really, it can sense chemical changes in the water. It can sense temperature changes in the water. Wow. Yeah, really unique and interesting, right? Which makes sense. I mean, we can tell when our teeth hit something hot or cold if there's like a nerve issue that's happening. Or like if you've had like a broken bone or something, like it where my nose was broken in high school, when the weather is doing something weird or mm-hmm, is going through like mm-hmm. a weird change, it'll ache. Yeah. I can't really like, it's not very reliable. <laughs> sure. Sometimes I just have a headache. It's said that like they can detect like varying levels of salinization mm-hmm. and they might even know based on like temperature, sensory information where not to go because maybe that the, the ice pack would be forming and it wouldn't be hospitable in terms of them coming up for air. What it said when you see these male narwhals, as I read, gently rubbing their tusks together. (laughs) Gently. Yes. It's so tender. Just a little gentle tusking. The descriptions of their, like, kind of familiarity and care for one another are are quite quite sweet. It's so lovely. But it said that they're transmitting information, potentially, about maybe where and where not to go or where they've been, what they've eaten. All this... Inte- like, like intelligent information being transmitted via tusk. You could say that they're transmitting metadata using <laughs> Bluetooth technology, almost <laughs> like in a way. Like it feels like that. Kind it of gray feels tooth. Like some sort. Yeah, Nar- a gray nar-tooth. tooth. Nar yeah. tooth. means it was referring to like corpse-like. Yeah, the color gray quality. Of their skin said oh. to be similar to drowned sailors. Yeah. The lore around these creatures, is- but the the actual outer layer of their of their tusks, there are these channels that allow the water to get in and enter the tusk, hit the nerve endings, so that they can actually sense and send these signals about what they're experiencing via their tusks. That's incredible. Isn't this the coolest. This is like yeah. the coolest thing I've learned in eons, I think. Well, we've become a little obsessed with barbels, which are like whiskers, yes. but they're oh, yeah, made yeah. Of like flesh, you know, like sensory skin tags sort of things. Right. Or vibrissae. Or vibrissae, the whiskers. Yeah. yeah. And mm-hmm. so this is this is interesting. This is like a new a uh, new antenna sort of thing, Nartooth technology. Yeah. yeah. Although one of the critiques of this idea that the tusks um, are serving this purpose um, that was offered is that the idea that since predominantly the males develop the the teeth, the extended you know tusk teeth, that it doesn't really make sense since the females are predominantly in charge of caring for the calves mm-hmm. and the you know survival of the species is dependent on adults raising calves to grow to adults. Right. Um, so that was a, a critique of that concept, but maybe it's just multi-purpose, like most things in the world are. Yeah. Uh, another description that I heard that I found quite entertaining was one scientist described the narwhals using their tusks to bop, and I quote, "arctic uh-huh. chard on the head." 
Yeah. Like little bunny foo-foo. I was like. (laughs) Just like little bunny foo-foo. Exactly. And then picking them up, bopping them on the head, and then eating them. Yeah. So, you know, stunning that Arctic chard as we do. Right. Sucking it down. Sucking it down. They too have a bit of a suction. It said, because they're, I think it said they're dentation. So the teeth in their mouth, not the tusk. It seems like they're kind of on the path to evolving out of having teeth because they don't really use any of their teeth for, say, like catching prey. It's a suck. Not a lot of chomping. Yeah. Not a lot. They're not chompy, chompy shark sharks. Not chompy, chompy sharks. So they're not using their teeth really for eating. They're using it to like transmit information about their experience and test the salinity of the water. Potentially. And and maybe to, you know, show off. Angelique My squat. tusk is bigger than your tusk. Yes. Yeah. Well, like uh, the the walrus, the largest tusk of the social group. Yeah. They take the predominance. Y'all narwhals are awesome. Aren't they so cool? I mean, Jack clearly already knows this. But I mean, they're pretty damn great. We're just jumping on this. Like that. Wait, can I curse on, on here? Sorry. Oh. <laughs> You've listened to this. A yes. lot of the parents that listen to this podcast have issues with my level of potty mouth. Whereas I'm over here, a cherubic angel. <laughs> you are. not you swearing. Are. So I'm sorry. But we have to have the angel and the devil. It's the yin and the yang of life. Fuck yeah. Y'all. <laughs> there we go. Doesn't it feel good? Yas. <laughs> so is there any other fun narwhal facts that you just got to get in here? Well, so I want to I save some of it for our fashion corner. Oh, please do. Yeah. Uh, but, um, you know, maybe we would just want to talk quickly about the the... Inuit origin myth of yes. the narwhals. Oh, yes, by all means. So uh, this Danish ethnologist um, recorded the myths from Greenland's Inuit culture in the kind of late 19th century. And basically the story that he was told was that um, a cruel mother of a blind son tricks him out of his share of the meal. Mm-hmm. Um, then the mother braids her hair into a long braid and they go out to harvest passing white whales, as you do, I'm assuming, when you live in Greenland. Yep. She drowns and is dragged out to sea, and her hair, her braided hair, becomes the tusk of the narwhal. Yeah. And the myth just ends, she did not come back. And I'm like, okay. All right. I mean, this is incredible. It's a tooth, but it's actually made of braided hair. It can test <laughs> the salinity of the water, transmit experiences to other people, or to other narwhals, excuse me. And it was misrecognized as a unicorn tusk for generations. And if you drink out of, if you drink liquids out of it, like it'll kill spiders and explode. No spiders. And like, <laughs> wow. Yeah, there's some thick, thick stuff surrounding history and yeah. lore and legend surrounding these these puppies. Pretty impressive. Yes. Oh, and I don't think I mentioned where they live. Did I mention that? Of all I don't know that we got into it. Yeah. These, are, these are not tropical guys. These are, they're up around like the, in the Arctic Ocean. Um, a lot of the, um, around like the Canadian, like very, very Northern mm-hmm. Canadian areas, Greenland, uh. um, into like the Russian Arctic as well. So these are cold water creatures. And they rely on that ice to protect them from killer whales, larger whales that might actually eat them. Right. And polar bears as well. Yeah. They'll kind of hang, polar bears will kind of hang out at like the holes where they know they'll come up. Sure. It's really the young narwhals and they'll attack them there as well. Wow. Yeah. It's tough out there in the Arctic. Yeah. You're like stuck under an ice flow and you got to breathe. And the one place that you can breathe, there's a polar bear just kind of waiting for you. Yeah. Right. No, knows you're coming. 
probably keyed off by like this long tusk slowly rising <laughs> up out of the water. <laughs> Dead giveaway. Well, I mean, they're a good food source. They're like 50% up to 50% fat, which is, right. which is wild, right? Right. Sounds and it's delicious. Also, but I think there are some Inuit populations that are legally um, via the country of Canada still allowed to hunt them as indigenous populations generally do. It's not a wasteful harvest. It's, right. They're using all parts of it. Yeah. Well, lovely. Yeah. That was a lot of narwhal information. It's a lot, know. and it is only the tip of the tusk. Only the tip yeah. of the tusk. Well, I guess we barely entered the iceberg. Right. <laughs> a lot down there as the Titanic. Yeah. 19. Uh, the Titanic was in 1912. Oh, I was going to guess and 17. Then, no, we got <laughs> we were wrong about this. I know, I know. And then I bought into the confusion. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Wasn't it 1914 is the death of Martha? The death of Marta, Mar- Marta. Martha. Martha. Also the start of World War One in general. In general, 1914. 1914, 1917, the U.S. entry into World War One. I. I realized I think part of our confusion with this is that there's advertise there's a movie out now called 1917, and so yes. that number's been around. Yes. And I think that that contributed to our confusion. Yeah. And it's also, that's my excuse too. In like my research areas <laughs> for music, a lot of major things are happening in 1917, oh. 1918. So those are all so jumbled for me. Well, I guess on that note, let's take a break. Let's do it. Man, I sure am sick of these plain old run-of-the-mill horse blinders. Hi, I'm Elk McPherson, and I'm here to present you with the exciting news from the world of equine eyewear. Horses have the largest eyes of any land mammal, so why not use all that real estate to really show off your filly's flair? Hold on, you're saying my wildest dreams have come true? That the worlds of high fashion and horse tack have finally collided? They sure have. Brand Clubby has teamed up with the hottest of horsewear designers, including Johnny Clydesdale from the House of Ed, and also star of Twin Peaks, Michael Horse, to bring you the flashiest, fanciest, and even freakiest of equine eye coverage. Ooh, where can I browse the selection? Just click on over to the horsewear tab of the Brand Clubby Fashion Expo website. Yay! Stuffed animal memories are the best kind of memories. Teddy bears, cows, and pow puppies. Would you tell us, please? Um, Jack, you surely know that stuffed animals are an important part of our lives. Yes. We're being looked over by two mounted stuffed animal friends right now yeah there's a zebra and uh that's a pachyderm a pachy- yeah it's an elephant in my parents household are the uh the literally stuffed animals that <laughs> both my father and i to a significantly lesser extent have killed over the course of lifetime whoa oh, like a hunting experience yeah yeah that's next level yeah these are these are much cuter they are pretty adorable kind-eyed Yes. Very kind-eyed. Yeah. This is, it's not about like a specific stuffed animal. It's just more of like a stuffed animal practice oh. in which I engaged. I reveal a lot on here and here we go. As a youngster, I've mentioned this. I was obsessed with stuffed animals. I loved them. They were like my buds. And so I would naturally kind of have them all assume personalities and thereby feelings so I would, there was a point in life, and I can't really locate what age, this was probably maybe like 10, I'd say 10 or 11, where I had 
these animals, I had think like six or seven of them, and they were on like a rotation. So I would sleep with a different one every night. Can't pick a favorite. In a rotation. Yeah, exactly. You couldn't pick a favorite, and I didn't want one to be more favored over another one. Sure. I'm really sad that I haven't, that I or that I can't remember exactly which animals were in this so-called squad. The squad. Oddly, I had tons, but for some reason, like these six were really like at the top, like the cream of my stuffed animal crop. So I know Nellie, my Coca-Cola bear was in there. Mm -hmm. She was like my favorite, favorite. I got her at the Coca-Cola bear store in Vicksburg, Mississippi. (laughs) (laughs) Like what were you doing in Vicksburg? Well, it's a major civil war battle site. Yes, it is. And so my dad being the civil war buff that he was took us there. Right. (laughs) Thanks dad. Thanks dad. Yeah. But I did get Nellie, my favorite. Uh, stuffed animal there so it was her and then it was also my gorilla friend he was a gorilla and he had a little banana and i called him bb and that was short for banana breath banana breath (laughs) yeah and i'm kind of blanking i think if i had them in front of me i'd be able to pick them out but i'm kind of blanking on which other ones were in the like so-called squad and then when it would come time to go on vacation my mom's like okay you have to pick one i was like absolutely not they all have to come (laughs) so like we had all of them come with us yeah there was just no negotiation on that point. Okay. They let me. I mean, God bless them. They let me just do what I wanted to do, which was great. Yeah. Hashtag squad goals. Squad goals. You can't have BB at home feeling left out. No. Absolutely not. Well, that's nice. <laughs> it's something. When I was around three, I was given this very uh, large squat teddy bear um, that... Uh, had a very large stomach and was kind of, you know, in the extended legs, extended arms position. Um, It's very weird shape for a teddy bear. And I still have this teddy bear. And um, being an only child uh, and being rather lonely, I immediately announced that his name was Conversation because he talked so much. Wow. Um, Oh, that is so (laughs) cute. And my parents were a little like yeah okay we need to sign you up for some things and let you meet some people (laughs) but uh but I still have conversation he's actually on my dresser and in my bedroom um and uh I've he's been with me everywhere that's so cute it reminds me of Noni yeah kind of like diagnosing your child's potential issues like <laughs> via their relationship with their stuffed animal. <laughs> yeah, it does sound about it's surely a way to just manage your child's neuroses is to yeah. give them something to interact with, you know. Yeah. Oh, it's so sweet. My stuffed animal memory I was reminded of recently. Uh, and his name was Pierre mm. and <laughs> another puppet. And my parents had gotten him when they had gone to France for a vacation yes. and they brought him back. So naturally he only spoke French, which is hilarious because <laughs> no one in my family, including me, speaks any French. So he mostly just said bonjour and, you know, <laughs> made assorted French noises. <laughs> which are? Like, oh, oh, oui, bonjour. <laughs> Escargot, you know, like full, like lots of Pepe Le Pew. Yeah, a lot of Pepe Le Pew. And he was just kind of like, you know, those like fuzzy floppy dogs that are like white with like some gray and black coloring, and they kind of have the hair that's like almost like spiral, and they like bounce around like this. They're like Mm -hmm. sporting dogs, I think. Mm -hmm. He kind of was one of those, but he was a little hand puppet. Cute. Isn't that adorable? Were most of your stuffed animal toys growing up hand puppets? Uh, no. But okay. some of them were. Yeah. I had a few as well. 
Yeah. I had a wolf hand puppet. Oh. Oh, wow. Yeah. He had a big felt pink tongue that would like flop out of his mouth. Wilding and Noni are actually in this room right now. I love it. <laughs> oh, wait a second. I'm going to show you guys them real quick. I love it. I thought about bringing conversation, but he didn't quite make it. Oh. It, I looked outside and was like, you know, he's been through too much. This weather is not. Yeah. It's not good conversation weather. Oh, look. Ah! Yes. Oh, this is Noni Redux, though. <laughs> That's a little hand. He's like three fingers. Oh, gosh, wild thing. Yeah, this is Noni 2.0. You can see my hand doesn't quite fit inside of Noni anymore. Yeah, by... <laughs> and no. then this is wild thing. Wild thing? I love wild thing. Oh, no, he's cute. These so are great. Cute. Those are great fangs on wild thing. Yeah, real commitment there. Yeah, I definitely chewed on them. <laughs> so they have like little holes in the tips of them. <laughs> Wild of, thing was chewing. You were chewing. Yeah, who's doing the chewing? Who's to say? You were chewing the chewers. What? His tail also kind of came out, so he has like a transient anus over here. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Good demonstration. All right. Great. Well, uh, well onward and upward. <laughs> Texana, you. Texana, we. Texana, who? Taxana, me. Kingdom. Animalia. Creatures. Phylum. Cordata. Spines. Class. Mammalia. Fuzzy furry friends. Order. Primate. Monkeys. Family. Calatricidae. Arboreal New World monkeys. Genus. Calatrix. Atlantic forest marmosets. Species. Chuckus. The common marmoset. A monkey of uncommon cuteness. True words have never been spoken. Yeah. Marmosets are the cutest. They are adorable. I love them. They're really cute. The common marmoset is so tiny. It is seven inches tall, oh. which is very, very tiny and has an average weight of about nine ounces, which is less than a typical bag of coffee. Like yeah. coffee is usually sold in the pound or 12 ounce. 12. Yeah. Occasionally a fancy coffee will be sold in like eight ounces or four ounces. Mm. That's more what Top we're talking shelf. about. <laughs> yeah, the finest. That'd be a medium-sized marmoset, really. Right. Um, <laughs> we're going to talk about their pelage, which is a fancy name for fur. It's kind of like brown, gray, and yellow, and it's multicolored. And then it has white ear tufts, and the tail is banded, and they have a super cute little face, and they have like white on their forehead. Yes. And the skin around their nose area is black. It's native to the northeastern coast of Brazil. The marmoset's kind of like thought of as a Brazilian creature. This specific species is like the northeast corner, but they've been taken as pets because they're so tiny. And yeah. then they were kind of distributed around. And so now they're also like in southeastern Brazil in the wild because, you know, they were intentionally and unintentionally released. Right. They are commonly kept as pets, but they become difficult to control when they get older. And like, do you really want a monkey that you can't control like in your home? That sounds terrifying. Yeah. Even if it's that little guy, you know, it's that just going to cause mischief and just do things that monkeys yeah. do. There's a, an account I follow. I think it's called like the real Diddy Kong or something. And it's marmosets and they live in Florida. They have them as pets and they're always like taking baths and like bubble baths. <laughs> so they're always like covered in bubbles and wow. stuff. And they wear little diapers. I don't know that I, I just don't know that I agree with it. I think I talked about this before. The exotic pet trade is just. Yeah. Ugh. I was talking to somebody at the bar, a bartender. I was talking about, I have a scarf 
um, that has all of Brazil on it. And so it has like surfboards and then like a bossa nova record and then a marmoset. (laughs) And he was telling me that he had a marmoset when he was younger, but it like it got a little out of control, you know, and they like got rid of it at some point. See, that's what happens. Yeah. They get out of control. They grow up as animals do. Yeah. Us included. And we get out of control. We think they're less cute. Right. When they're like ripping their diaper off and pooping when grandma comes over. Yeah. On grandma. (laughs) They poop on grandma. Can I ask a question real fast? Sure. Are these different than pygmy marmosets? I believe so. Yeah. I think think that might be a different species, but I I don't know that for certain. I know that this is the common one. And I know that there were a bunch of other ones with like fun names. Like like a tufted. Yeah. There's a lot of tufts and there's like bonnies or like some, you know, some sort of fun word describing their plumage, you know. Right. There's probably a Rufus marmoset. <gasps> oh, I bet they're beautiful. These guys have arboreal locomotion that's similar to squirrels. So they run across branches quadrupedally. So mm-hmm. they kind of just like truck along, you know. They like a dry secondary forest and edge habitats. Okay. I don't know what a secondary forest is. But I was going to say, what's an edge habitat? An edge habitat is where like it changes. So mm. like where it changes from like dense forest to grasslands, say there would be that kind of border between the two that would be the edge habitat that kind of goes between the two as opposed to things that only live in the forest and things that only live in the grasslands. Gotcha. Okay. Okay. So like a liminal space, if you will. What do they eat? Well, they eat insects and plant exudates. (laughs) Do tell. An exudate (laughs) is a fluid that uh, is emitted by an organism through a pore or a wound. So, like, if you get cut and, like, the blood coagulates, like, that's exudate. So they're just, like, slashing at plants and waiting for it to exudate? Well, what they do is they <laughs> use their cute little hands mm-hmm. and they grab onto the side of the tree and then they chomp-chomp on the tree to create a wound and then they feed off of the exudate. So they really oh. need, like, a woodpecker, woodpecker friend. Animal Animal pals, yeah. They could team up. (laughs) That would be like the super, superstar team, you know. Yeah. They have specialized sesums to help them digest all this plant stuff. Sure. The sesum is between the intestines, the small and large intestines. It's like where the appendix is in humans. Mm -hmm. And like, remember the horses or the the, the kiang. It had like a 24 liter capacity in its sesum. Which is so... (laughs) That's a lot. It's a lot of sesum. That's a huge sesum. Um, they'll eat fruit, seeds, flowers, fungi, nectar, snails, lizards, tree frogs, bird nests, nestlings, and infant mammals. Whoa. Well, yeah. well they eat their own infant mammals? I didn't see anything about that in my research. But they're so small. How are they eating? I guess infant, well, infant mammals, mammals that are like super, super infant yeah. size. Babies. Yeah, but baby babies. Yeah, baby babies. Mini babies. Micro babies. Yes. <laughs> so they have a big family. Their like family situation is kind of complicated. So there will be like, uh, they'll be in these groups of like nine or so individuals generally, like up to like a group size of like 15. And so there will be a dominant male and a dominant female and they're the breeding pair. And the other animals aren't allowed to breed and they'll use like physiological and social methods to prevent the other creatures from breeding, which I don't want to know more about, frankly. (laughs) Yeah, this is like marmoset, like racial pressure. 
Yeah, it's like really eugenics. Marmoset <laughs> eugenics. Yeah. The, Marmoset it's, mingle. The females in a family group tend to be more closely related than the males. Okay. So there will be the dominant breeding female, and then there may be like a second breeding female, and she'll frequently be the daughter of the primary breeding female. Sure. <laughs> and and she will frequently go mate with males from other groups. And her her it seems like her offspring don't always make it whether like whatever point it it was a little vague about that and again I didn't really want to go into because it was just like more like marmoset Mengele. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, the other individuals won't breed in the group. It's only the breeding male and the breeding female. Um, the others have a social structure based on their age. And the subordinates will show their subordination by grooming their superiors in oh, rank. So cute. I know. Um, and then, I mean, how do they get funky? <laughs> funky. Funky monkey. I mean, it was at first thought that they are monogamous, but there's been both poly- polygamy and polyandry. And that's a form of polygamy where the wife has, the woman has one or more husband, so to speak. These like are always explained in very like marriage terms. And Mm -hmm. I always think that's really funny, but I don't think that these marmosets have marriage. No. The state's not really controlling their unions. No. Right. Right. Sounds good. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Queer goals. Hashtag. Yeah. Hashtag. Yes. (laughs) The marmoset as queer icon. That's right. I love that. They are mostly monogamous. So the the thing is, is that the breeding pair needs the other members of the group to the, watch. <laughs> yeah, they're they're cuckold fetishists. <laughs> um, okay, so the breeding pair mates, and the gestation's about five months, and then the baby's born, and then the the lady is ready to breed again, like ten days later, which is insane. So they'll have two babies a year, pretty much, like the the you know the dominant female, like the babies latch onto mommy's back, and they uh-huh. don't leave for like a couple of weeks. Which is cool, but then you're like, wait, isn't she, like, having, you know, reproductive coitus, like, 10 days later? Like, maybe leave the baby in the pram for that, you know? <laughs> like, at least that. But I, I guess I'm not a monkey. And, well, yes, I am a are. monkey. Oh. Shut up! Yes, she, you are. She's really building up her strength, carrying that, you know, that baby while... While having sex, I would assume. Yeah. Next quite active. Momminess. Some exercise. You think it's her like 10 days of like just like off time between pregnancies. You think maybe she'd want to like actually take some time off. You know? Yeah. And at a certain point, the babies just kind of get like passed off to the other members of the group. And then they're raised by them. Like raised communally. Yeah. Like communally. So the process is the, the babies after they're clinging to the mother. And then the father, the breeding male, who's likely the father, he'll begin handling the kids. And after about three months, they're weaned. And then, like, after five months, they're, like, being raised by the other members of the group because then the next baby's being born. And then they become adults after, like, a year and a half. Yeah. So we were talking earlier about how they're kept as pets. And you have, Jack, you have a story about this. Oh, sure. Yeah. So uh, in terms of marmosets in history, uh, there's actually, (laughs) yes. So, uh, and I, you know, I lack some details on this because going back to hashtag queer goals, despite having purchased Virginia Woolf's diaries, I only managed to read the first two and she had quite a few diaries. I bet. Uh, (laughs) 
So I don't have all the details on the marmoset that uh, Victor Rothschild gave Virginia Woolf and Leonard Woolf, you know, in the 30s. But they were given this sickly marmoset that he didn't want because he was unable to care for it appropriately because, you know, it's actually really difficult to care for a marmoset. They're used to being quite warm. They're not really you know, Northern Hemisphere creatures. Uh, They have a very particular diet, um, which is part of the issue of keeping them as pets. But uh, so they were given this marmoset and they named it Mitz. And there's actually a recent novel that was published uh, fictionalizing Mitz's life and his life with, or her life, excuse me, with the wolves. But one of the things that we do know is that Mitz was involved in a a Nazi interaction where the wolves decided that they were going to vacation in Germany, which might not have been the brightest plan considering that Leonard was Jewish. And uh, so they were, I don't know how much of this is true, but there was a there's perhaps a parade and uh, Mitz allegedly was hidden beneath uh, Leonard's waistcoat because in addition to Leonard being Jewish, there's also the fact that the marmoset was apparently an illegal animal to have. Were they labeled by the Nazis like degenerate animals or something? You know, I'm lacking some details here, (laughs) but another version of the story. We will not have the marmosets. <laughs> is that the marmoset so charmed the Nazi officer that the <laughs> that the wolves were able to make their escape? So it's oh. unclear to me whether we had a charming marmoset, a hidden marmoset, a hidden then charming marmoset. I don't know, <laughs> yeah. but you know the marmoset Mitz apparently was was quite jealous of Virginia, and when he she would occasionally escape to the trees, uh, all Leonard would have to do would be to like hug Virginia Woolf and Mitz would just like come a running and then start eating his dandruff. So, because you know, groom, going back to our grooming qualities. Yes, grooming. Mm, Interesting. He's flakes. like, I am a subordinate. Let me eat your scalp flakes. Exactly. <laughs> so, stories. Marmosets in history. Oh my goodness. Well, you also sent me um, uh, some links to Marmoset Luke's. Um, for, again, for the <laughs> yes. pet marmosets. Because yes. you put you put a diaper on it you know you like yeah dress it up in a silly costume and it's a struggle it's like our pigeons our las vegas pigeons it's like at first you want to be like that's adorable but then you're also like mm, maybe this is also a little weird yeah but a charming marmoset in a you know you just have to wonder like what kind of outfit did this marmoset yeah have? you know there are quite a few etsy pages where you can purchase your marmoset different looks mm. yes. um and i did a fair amount of research trying to see all the different colors that marmosets might come in so i could try and identify what would be the best colors to match your marmoset <laughs> oh that's beautiful <laughs> it's like a but, wine pairing. <laughs> but it seemed like most marmosets are some sort of brown gray sure you know black white mixture there are the tamarins which while they're not true marmosets um they are sometimes classified along with the marmosets and as a marmoset there's the lion tuft marmoset golden lion tamarind yeah that's it that's it we will hear about them and so although it's not a true marmoset (laughs) that's a promise there is so many more color options i think that you know really go well and also unfortunately clash with the with the lion tamarind versus the the true marmoset which you know you can really do a range of colors because that brown gray combo really goes with a lot earth tones you can spice up an earth tone yeah anthropology isn't that the name of the store 
Yes. Yeah, that would be a good marmoset. Like drapes, like fine knitted yeah. garments and like gold, copper, jewelry. Oh, yes. I have a floral napkin set that would just make a great marmoset diaper. Uh-huh. Oh, gosh. Yes. Looks. Looks Ugh. for days. Comes in jewel tones. Mike, I did have a quick question. Sure. Um, where in the taxonomy, taxonomic rank would marmosets and tamarins be together and where would they get separated out? Did you come across um, this? Yeah, it's the family Calatrichidae. That's okay. the arboreal New World monkeys. Which a tamarind is. Yeah, I believe. And then I think when you get to the genus is when it was the specific set of marmosets. Gotcha. So I think there's a few different genuses of marmosets. Got it. I feel like there was like in, there was like subfamilies and infra orders. Because the simians, it's a simian, which is somewhere between order and family. I think it's an infra order. Okay. Well, there's also the distinction um, between old world and new world monkeys. Mm-hmm. Just to toss this in, like old world monkeys, I've always thought of them as like the primates we'd associate, like chimpanzees, orangutans, all the things that you find in like continental Asia and Africa. Sure. And all that. Whereas new world monkeys that are the ones predominantly found in like the rainforest regions, smaller. Often the tamarins, the marmosets, spider monkeys, those guys. They're generally, I think of big and small. Like uh-huh. apes yeah. versus these little like tree-dwelling sorts of monkeys. And right. the opposable thumbs, that's the other yeah. like big yeah. change. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but these guys do have like little like mouse hands almost, marmosets. Cute mouse hands. Yeah, yeah. it's really yeah. cute. They're so cute. I want to talk real quick about, because we were talking about marmoset fashions, what were the narwhal fashions? Oh my that goodness, you had? it's just so fascinating. So, you know, because the Ooh. narwhal tusks were identified as unicorn tusks, there's just all this this fashion, European fashion, European royalty that was using quote unquote unicorn horns, i.e. narwhal tusks for everything. You know, you've got Ivan the Terrible's royal staff, where as he's dying of poison, he calls for his unicorn staff to be brought to him. And he's like, it's too late, but... Oh my God. But give me my unicorn staff. There are some spiders here. I just saw a spider. (laughs) And uh, that one was encrusted with jewels. You've got one of the popes giving the king of France one that's encrusted in gold. The king of Spain had 12 narwhal tusks. Okay, that's just like too, too many. Yeah. Yeah. It's a little extreme. And one of the kings of Denmark had a royal throne um, that was made allegedly entirely out of unicorn horn. Wow. Ugh. And then you've got Elizabeth I, who's got, you know, at least two narwhal tusks, perhaps three. It's a little unqueer, unclear. <laughs> As opposed to unqueer. Yeah, I mean, there are some questions about Elizabeth I. Right, right. You know, she didn't really believe in lesbians, but, uh, you know, she's got the gem-encrusted one. She's got her got one that was gifted to her by a, a British pirate, Sir Frobisher. Um, and... Uh, also, she's got that cup that she's trying to, you know, she's waiting on it to explode so she knows what to drink and what not to drink. Look, if Ugh. you have a gem-encrusted narwhal tusk and you're like, I'm against lesbians, like, <laughs> the lady doth protest too much. <laughs> That's what I have to say to that. Well, you know, she did say that that lesbian sex was impossible. So, you know, it's less a question of did she believe in it and more just... You know, how was she defining these things? Right. Sure. Right. Yeah. Sure. Right. 
I guess I, I have my last little uh, marmoset activity. I have a marmoset activity. Oh, yes. So they can communicate for their social groups. So we have a couple different visual things that we can do. Okay. Um, so uh, there are three different faces that they make. Oh. So I'm going to say what it signifies. I'm going to say what it does. And then we're all going to make the faces. Oh, and I love then, it. Listener, you can try this at home too. Or if you're on the subway or in the car or whatever you <laughs> please can do it if you're on the subway marmoset faces can i take pictures as we go yeah yeah okay just so we have some evidence see so what your can... other subway riders think of your face yeah okay. and then we can post these on the instagram the first one to signal alarm you have to do a partial open mouth stare so that means your mouth is partially open and you just kind of stare you ready go okay now to signal aggression you have to frown Okay, ready? Go. Okay, and now to signal submission, you have to do a slit stare and <laughs> flatten your ear tufts. Okay, ready? <laughs> Go. Okay, great. So now you have your three marmoset facial expressions. Okay. Now we have two different calls that we're going to do. Oh, my favorite. <laughs> the first is the alarm call call, which is a series of repeating calls that get higher with each call. So we're going to go, okay, ready? Okay, those were great. And then we have um, a trill, which is a vibrato-like low-pitched generic call, which is I don't know. I didn't actually listen to these. I'm just doing these off the description. But what I think that means is <laughs> That was good. And then we have the fees, which are whistle like generic calls. I think that's like Awesome. And now um, now the next thing on our marmoset activity, and we're going to leave you with this. We're going to go off and do this, listener, and you can, you know, feel free to feel free to practice this on the subway or wherever you may be. <laughs> we're going to use the scent glands on our chest to mark <laughs> objects, to communicate our social and reproductive status. Okay, you ready? Okay, go. What have you marked? What have you marked? Oh, Meredith is marking the barnyard blankie now. I've marked a chip. It's now mine. All right. Well, that's great. Let's uh, take a break. (laughs) Whoa, Dolly. You had that tasty grouse in your grasps. Why did you bail from your dive? Oh, Whitney, some pesky beetle flew into my eye. Sounds like you need Raptor Specs, the new goggle series by Brand Clubby. How exciting that Brand Clubby is expanding to the Class A sector. And how. Raptor Specs is a home run debut in a new demo. High-velocity dive goggles for Peregrine Falcons. Check out the waterproof UV-400 rated Osprey series. Dear Nal. What a beautiful catalog. Now I see the owl Nicole, a monocle for owls. Wow, check out Eagle Eyes for Eagles. 
Brand Clubby does it again. What consistently great products. Raptor Specs is just the first Brand Clubby Class Aves eyewear venture. We're cooking up some new Lukes for the Fezaday family next season. I'm excited, Whitney. All right, Jack, welcome to the listener feedback. Thank you. Thank you so much. Yeah, isn't it funny? Meredith and Mike, I'm so happy to be here. Yeah. Yeah. So Betty from North Dakota asks, what kind of pajamas do silkworms wear? Oh, (laughs) good question. I would assume a a silk pair that they would weave as they, as they went. Yeah. It's like a, it's, they're like a self-producing sock factory. Yeah. They are kind of like a little sock factory. Yeah. I guess I don't really know much about the process of like making silk garments from the silk that's like provided by the... I'm I'm wondering, is this a situation of the cobbler's children having no shoes? Like, do the silkworms never have the silk? Like, it's constantly being robbed from them, basically. Right. Yeah. Oh, gosh. I guess let's assume, like, wild silkworms, not, like, silkworms, like, working in the silk industry, I guess. Right. Um, Poor labor practices for the silkworms. I know. I was going to say, silkworm laborers need an advocate. I think that... Do silkworms make a cocoon? Are they like a larval stage and then they like become something else? Is is the silk made from the cocoon silk stuff? I can't imagine it is. I don't know. I mean, there there are all kinds of of worms that make these weird, you know, treat. Like there are these uh, caterpillars that are constantly killing like various trees in in North America. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That create like these... These kind of weird nest structures. Huh. Right. I would assume that silkworms are something like that. Yeah. One time I had a folder. I had these plastic folders in first grade. They're like normal folders, but they were made out of plastic. Kind of a great concept because folders would get so ratty so yeah. fast, right? But I pulled one out of my desk and there was like a little worm. I had oh. like built a little like spun home for itself like in my folder. Both cute and mildly gross. Weird, right? Yeah. Like, I think I still have these folders, and there's still, like, a little, like, splotch where this worm juice is. Oh. <laughs> okay. I don't know how to answer this question. I think that, like, mostly they go on natural, but were they to wear pajamas? like Flannel. Flannel. <laughs> Plaid. Definitely plaid. Flannel. Yeah, seems right. Pajamas, just like the ones Black you watch, have over there. Black watch, plaid, flannel. Yeah. Oh, yeah, we haven't even talked about the bison pants yet. <laughs> okay, well, our fish position is flannel. Right. <laughs> ding, 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 ding. Okay. <laughs> Stefan from Saskatoon asks, do dogs run fast in their dreams? Yes, they do. I think, yeah. I think that's easy, right? I think they run faster and freer and farther than ever. Yes, that's what I was going to say. Uh, maybe unlike humans, though. I, I'm only speaking for me, but in my dreams, I pretty much characteristically am never running fast anywhere. I'm always running as if I have like moon shoes on or something. I think they run aspirationally. So if they want to run faster, then yes. But if they just want to take a nap, they're taking a nap. Right. Right. Because you see this footage of those dogs where like in some animals you see this where the um, most animals when they fall asleep, there is like a, a part of the brain that inhibits movement. So you can kind of shut off your, like, sleeping movement versus your real-life movement. Um, But dogs or cats, you'll see videos where they don't necessarily, that brain function isn't working. You'll see them, like, 
like scrambling, like legs, like running <laughs> sure. crazy in their yeah. sleep. And yeah. It's, it's lots pretty, of twitching. Yeah. Lots of twitching. It's very cute. Okay. So we're going to say that when they want to run, then they can. But yeah. when they, sometimes they're taking naps in their dreams and so they're not running fast. So exactly. it's not all their dreams are about running, but when they want to run, they can run fast. Right. Yeah. Ding, ding, ding. Ding, ding, ding. Ding. Ding, ding. ding. Okay, and then um, Rick from Austria <laughs> sent us one of our favorites. It's a mate pair feet upon. Oh, oh. I love these. Love a mate Good pair questions. feet upon. We got octopus, we got snails, and we have praying mantis. Oh, oh. man, these yeah. mantis are so popular. Yeah, two mollusks and an insect. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. Well, so... Jack, I don't know if if you knew, but previously we talked about the mantis, and we were concerned that like the mating process for the mantis takes so long, and then when you do mate with them, they they like the mant the lady mantis kills the male mantis. So feeling not like always, though. not always, not always, but it's just it just felt like us not worth the risk, you know? Yeah, you know, as a listener and a lover of of this podcast, I I noticed that last week, and I was just thinking, you know, if. Because, and you talked about this a little bit, Meredith, that we as humans tend to, obviously not all humans, but but many of us tend to anthropomorphize animals and think mm-hmm. that they are similar to us in some way. And I feel like that's what we're basically doing with, with this question. Always. <laughs> and so I guess what I'm wondering is if you have a queer and or like non-binary gendered mantis, uh-huh. then where does it fall within this, this question? That's that it's it's such a great question. It is a great question. I'm not sure I know I can answer it because you know within, you know, some queer relationships there's kind of, you know, more of a egalitarian like non-hierarchical maybe poly um, right. situation happening. Sure. And so would that mean that it would actually be a really good idea to mate with your mantis or or maybe even partner with your mantis because you could could really build on that relationship and really build in some trust that would not result in you being eaten and beheaded, maybe. Well, that's interesting. Wow. Yeah, that's a completely different take on this. These are the questions I've been pondering about oh. the mantis. I mean, I think that's an interesting question. I've been thinking about this mantis taco, though, that you were talking about. <laughs> tell me tell me more about the I, mantis taco, please. This is like... So are we eating the mantis in the taco? Is the mantis making a taco out of us? What's happening? Well, yeah, yeah. I, the only reason I thought about this is because one time I had cricket tacos. Oh. And I kind of imagine like the mantis body being kind of similarly protein-y. Mm-hmm. Yeah, protein-rich. Protein-rich and crunchy. Like a, Sure. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah, like a cricket would be. So I was like, yeah, just fry them up, put them in my taco. Not like that filthy minds but <laughs> yeah is are you mating with it or eating it <laughs> bump my tooth again um <laughs> you're tusking the microphone throughout this whole episode you're just tusking the microphone i just wanted the salinization info from this microphone but i feel like we're getting <laughs> off topic jack i want to give you a more like erudite answer for this i just don't know i don't know it's. I mean, I think if anything, it's just indicative of like how caught in the binary I am of like these are the behaviors of these animals, and it's really hard to think outside of it. 
you know, I love a challenge. So I think I would say that I would would pair with the mantis. Okay. I would mate with the snail because, you know, you've got some natural lubricant there. I th- <laughs> yeah. And That's what I thought yeah, too. definitely mating and, with the snail. And I feel like having sex in the ocean is actually really hard because you're you're a lot of natural lubricants being washed away. Sure. Right. Yeah. Like the shower. It never and works. And so it, it can actually be a lot less fun. And then there's right. the breathing question as humans. Oh, we don't right, really breathe right. very well underwater. Yeah. No gills. Octopi slits. tend to be very deep. So I just right. don't know about that. Yeah. And so I think I'm going to eat the octopus. Yeah. Which makes me sad because I know they're really smart. <sighs> they are very smart. I think I too would eat the octopus because it's the it would require the least amount of like one-on-one time. Mm. Because I have to say full disclosure, octopus. Pie octopuses, however we're doing this plural, freak me octopusy f out. Yeah, octopusy, scary. I don't like them. I don't like thinking about them. I don't like that they're so intelligent. Though I wouldn't change anything about them. I mean, I appreciate them. I love them for their intelligence. I just don't want anything to do with them. Okay. So, and I actually don't even really want to eat one. I tasted one once, and I still couldn't get past like how yucked out I was. But. I think the lesser of all evils, as far as my most like feared creature, would be eating it. Okay. And I think, yeah, I think I would also pair with the man- mantis because I think there is some really interesting exploration and growth I think possible within myself through that pair bondage, and then mate with the snail for the same reasons. Yeah. See, I'm mating with the snail to see how it works and yeah. you know the lubricant and it has its own house that's great it's Love always that. great tiny snail homes tiny snail homes move in um, it's right. a gastropod <laughs> dream U-Haul snails yeah U-Haul snails <laughs> speaking of lesbians <laughs> and then um, and then I was inclined to say that I would pair with the octopus and eat the mantis because of the mantis taco but I think y'all have convinced me and further octopuses are famous for escaping aquariums and things through yes. like unexpected means. Yes. And I think if that's like a metaphorical correlation in their like relationship styling, yeah. then like I don't know if I'm ready for that level of uncertainty. And right. like at least mm. the mantis, it's like slow moving. And maybe I could build some more trust so that I don't get my head eaten off. Although we still don't know whether if you pair with something that it's also a mating relationship. Yeah. Right. That's a whole other. Hard thing. to know. It's a ball of wax. Yeah. So we're going to say we're going to mate with the snail. We're going to pair with the mantis and we're going to feed upon the octopus. Yes. Okay. Ding, 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 ding. We have answers. Yeah. Woo. Keep the questions coming. Animalfanclubpod at gmail.com. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Animal Fan Club is created and produced by us, Meredith Jurgens and Mike Luno. We also create all our original music and sonic experiences. Send us your listener feedback questions to animalfanclubpod at gmail.com. Follow us on Instagram at animalfanclubpod, at Meredith Jurgens and at Mike underscore Luno. And don't forget to rate and review our podcast on your favorite app. That really helps us out. Thanks for listening to our show. We hope it makes your heart and spirit glow. We'll be here next week for another episode.